0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest Travis Smith Tax Podcast. Uh, they say two things in life are certain death and taxes. Well, actually, at this time of year, there's often a third certainty, which is that you can't really get away from World Cup fever. Interestingly enough, this is one of the topics that we'll be touching on in today's tax podcast. But before we get involved in that, who are we? Well, I'm Colleen Khan, Senior Tax Associate at Travis Smith.
1: And I'm Lewis Ferry, an associate in the Transaction Tax Team. This podcast has been recorded in November 2022. So World Cup fever is well and truly underway, with a few days to go now until the tournament kicks off in Qatar. So it seems like an appropriate time to focus on the world of football and more particularly some of the ways in which it interacts with tax, which naturally probably isn't the first thing that comes to mind when you watch a beautiful game. Before we kick off, Lou, who are you tipping to pick up that trophy
0: before I answer that question, Lewis, I've got to take issue with the fact that you call it the beautiful game. I'm a Man U supporter, and it's certainly <laughs> not a beautiful game when it comes to watching Man U. But I agree conceptually, football is a pretty beautiful game. am my tipping, um, you know, the really exciting thing about this this World Cup is actually I don't think there's a clear favour. There's lots of really, really good squads as Portugal, There's France. Brazil, obviously, you can never count out Argentina with Messi. But I mean, if I were a betting man, I'd probably find money on France. And that's just purely because, just look at the players they've got. Just incredible. You, you know, the likes of Mbappe, Kingsley Coman, Benzema, I think is bad. Obviously, they're missing Conte, but um, midfield is just insane. Like, can't really look beyond France, but hopefully it'll just be a really, really enjoyable kind of tournament and um, create a kind of feel good factor, which everyone can kind of get involved with.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you've obviously named quite a lot of very big players for France there. And every World Cup was usually, usually a standout player. And you look back at previous winners of like the Golden Bonds. It really is an incredible list of talent. Got Modric, Messi, Orland, Sudan. Ronaldo, who's your tip to
0: win it, win it this year? Oh, who's going to be the best player? I mean, the 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 really kind of hopeful, diehard Manu fan in me would love it to be Cristiano Ronaldo. If you look at his career, it's insane. What 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 he does on the pitch, I think, through sheer hard work, dedication, determination, it's just incredible. It's almost like poetry in motion. Personally, I think. So I'd love it to be Ronaldo, but I mean, I don't know. It depends how, how well Portugal do, I suppose, and how many chances they create from him. I think mean, fundamentally, I mean, there are so many different stories you can look at during this tournament. I mean, one thing I'm really excited about is the kind of Christian Eriksen. I don't know whether redemption is the right word, but the kind of return, you know, obviously we had those um, scenes in Denmark where he you know, obviously he had his cardiac arrest and for him to come back in the space of a year 18 months and probably be starting in the Denmark team which also by the way has some pretty incredible players like four EPA I think is really showing his stuff for Tottenham I mean that would be very really exciting to see and then I don't know about you Lewis but I'd always love a kind of wild card and I think Saint- Senegal with the likes of Mane, Edouard Mendy in goal, Koulibaly, they 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 could be a surprise team, to be honest, particularly if Marnie chose his billboard for him. So I suppose without really answering your question, what I've really said is there are probably a few players that like, could really stand out. But as long as there are plenty of goals, I think none of us will really be complaining, will we?
1: Yeah, I completely echo your sentiments, claim on Christian Eriksen, and it would be really great to see him back on the pitch at a major international tournament. For me, I'm sipping Kaleem Mbappe. Just looking at his form for PSG in the league and in the Champions League, he really is a standout talent.
0: Yeah, he was only, I mean, if you think about how amazing he was in twenty eighteen, he was nineteen years old, such a raw talent. Now it's twenty twenty-three, four years on. Look at the PSG team, I mean, potentially controversial statement, but like I think out of Messi and Neymar out of that kind of three, he's like the standout player at the moment.
1: So speaking of Mbappé, he was very recently involved in a disagreement with the French Football Federation in relation to image rights, which involved him refusing to take part in a photo shoot with his teammate due to a dispute about where his image or likeness would be used, as the French Football Federation had sponsors, including fast food chains and betting companies, which Mbappé reportedly did not want to be seen to endorse. Clearly, football now, it's big money and clubs are increasingly looking to grow existing and create new revenue streams or to use a rather more pointed term used by one particular club recently looking to pull additional economic levers. One of those streams or levers is monetizing image rights. Claim: what are people talking about when they mention image rights? Let's
0: step back a minute. I mean, what? is a player's remuneration right so first and foremost they're paid a salary and that salary is for them to effectively play football and that's in the same way that you and me are paid to be lawyers in the same way our listeners are paid to do their job that's effectively what that kind of represents what are image rights well I suppose image rights are effectively things such as photos trademark celebrations footballers name nickname it can be likenesses Portrayed in the form of kind of emojis like Paul Pogba had when he joined Man U. It can be anything basically which identifies a player with a certain kind of image or or name. And effectively, the more kind of global and successful a player is, the more valuable you can the value you can attribute to those kind of image rights. So, in a nutshell, those are the kind of image rights that, that people are talking about when when referring to image rights.
1: Okay, so basically, it's a very wide variety of attributes, which fundamentally, fundamentally, comes to identity and yeah. the use of that identity. Yeah. So you mentioned there that they're very viable. So I don't know if actually one of them seems was attribute.
0: Well, it's interesting. I suppose. Point one is we've got to assume, to monetize such attributes, that such attributes have value. So often, as you said, you mentioned, BAFE is obviously a very, very well-known footballer and has immense kind of commercial value, just from a kind of personal business kind of sense. It's obvious to most of us, you know, has commercial value. What effectively a lot of clubs have is they have their own kind of commercial arrangements with sponsors so classic example is someone similar like Man City has arrangements with Etihad Airways, Arsenal has arrangements with Emirates Airlines. and what uh, clubs will often seek to do as part of those commercial arrangements is to try and use their players whether that be in advertisements done with their kind of sponsorship partners or photographs or appearances at say events of that sponsor they will try because the player plays for that particular club, they will try and incorporate them into those kind of events in order to enhance the the brand of their partner sponsor. So it's very much clubs sponsoring partners using the resource of the players in order to try and generate more cash through the club sponsorship agreement.
1: So that all makes sense to me. So these players will be under an employment contract. Is that the end of the story? If you look to the employment contracts, presumably it will have provisions in there that would allow the Players Club to use those image rights.
0: No, there's a bit more to the story. Uh, effectively, and, and it's been quite widely trailed in the press um, over the last few years, what you'll have is you'll have a player as an individual who will enter into an employment agreement with whoever they're playing for, and that's usually in the form of a standard form, of Premier League, at least a standard Premier League form kind of a, a agreement. And yes, I agree that in those particular employment agreements, alongside the standard you will play for these matches kind of provision that you'd expect, there are certain kind of image rights or, or, or kind of sponsorship type S clauses in there. The difficulty with that kind of arrangement is though, for instance, in the Premier League standard employment contract, you effectively you can't contract with an individual to say that they won't appear at certain sponsorship sponsorship events more than anyone else in the first team. I suppose what happens then, when you've got a first team player like Mbappe, and then you've got the, I suppose, 11th most famous player in that team, how do you kind of monetize the Mbappe factor? Because fundamentally sponsors are going to want to see more of Mbappe than they are the 11th most famous person in that team. So what will happen, Lewis, is that a player will usually incorporate a company, so in the UK, let's say it's a uh, UK private incorporated company, and that company will own all of the image rights, you know, the emojis, the signatures, the pictures and photos, etc, which we talked about earlier, and that will be a separate entity, which the football club contracts with, and that contract will be separate from the employment contract, which we've just spoken about, i.e it won't be for the player's day-to-day playing services it'll be specifically relating to the use of that player's image rights the reason you do that is because obviously there are constraints within the standard employment agreement as to how often you can use the image rights of a specific player so the image rights contract will provide that the player can provide their images for use by the club to a higher extent than would ordinarily be permitted under the employment agreement. And that means that club sponsors can use, say, the most famous or the most influential players in a squad more than what the employment agreement would permit them to do so. And therefore, it also means that the player who holds those image rights can be remunerated proportionately for the use of their image. Does that make sense?
1: So I think what you're saying, Kaleem, is that it doesn't follow that image rights follow the respective club that a player plays for. Instead, they're an independent economic asset with value, potentially significant value, and that may be held by the player directly or through a company owned by that player. Then it's down to the club to think about what that might be worth in terms of promoting the club and potentially pay significant sums to be able to use those rights.
0: I think that's right. It's, yeah, absolutely. Um, majority of the time, it will be done through private corporate vehicle for reasons we've probably come on to discuss. But um, fundamentally, what happens is a, in order to, I suppose, stop you now being an abuse and saying that player has higher image rights than what they probably do now so the HMRC guidance when it comes to reviewing image rights is quite interesting because it echoes the kind of valuation uh, features that we see in share valuations when employees acquiring shares what the guidance effectively says is that you have to value the image rights with a forward looking perspective so you've got to look at what the image rights will be worth over the course of the future rather than what they are worth now and you have to attribute the money based on that valuation. Now, it's quite interesting, Lewis, because the benefit of using an image rights company and therefore paying for the use of image rights via an image rights contract to a company is going to be taxed differently to how the money paid under an employment contract is taxed. Under an image rights contract, fundamentally, the club doesn't have to withhold any tax under the PAYE or payroll system. Instead, they pay the amount Then the company that owns the image rights is subject to the currently 2022-2023 19% tax rate. This means that the club, because it's not deemed to be paying employment taxes, This means that the club doesn't have to pay through the payroll, doesn't have to deduct 45% tax and 2% employee NICs. And crucially for the club, it means they don't have to pay employer national insurance contributions of 13.8%. So HMRC are quite clear and quite robust on making sure that a proper valuation process is undertaken by the clubs in order to kind of stop clubs trying to make payments which actually account for employment income of the player rather than payments for their image rights via the image rights agreement because obviously there is a tax deficit to HMRC if that's done it's quite interesting because uh, you often see or there have been in the press examples of young players coming through academies who are basically paid the majority of their money by a club through their image image rights company and obviously At the particular time when they're 15, 16 years old, that kind of player doesn't have the value in their image that someone like a Mo Salah or someone like a Haaland has when they're professional. So it's often that kind of mischief, which I think is in mind to prevent clubs putting into place structures where they don't have to pay via PAYE.
1: That makes sense. Yes, so effectively you can see why HMRC would be very motivated to argue that something is not genuinely a payment for use of image rights, but is instead employment income, given the disparity in tax treatment between those two payments. I think it's interesting that you were referring to the approach the HMRC takes to valuing image rights and the similarities of what we say in our day job with regards to share valuations, requiring a valuation to look at the future value of a business on a prospective, forward-looking basis, taking into account the hope value and the predicted economic performance of, of that business and so on. It's a very similar approach taken by HMRC to image rights as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's, um, that's actually a really excellent connection, which I, I haven't really fully appreciated that actually. Because, so um, there is there is a lot of similarity between Something like football, these image rights contracts, which kind of we as individuals who love this sport kind of see as I suppose, a world unconnected to us, almost like an escapism type world. And what we deal with in our job on a day to day basis, whether that's um, putting into place management, certain management incentive plans for managers of corporates, whether that's um, acting for certain senior management who are part of a private equity buyout whether that's looking at certain incentive plans or the kind of thing we look at day to day. And the fact that HMRC will apply a similar kind of valuation focus to what we've just discussed is very, very interesting.
1: So clearly, a number, a number of players at World Club will be trying to put their their best foot forward, so to speak, so possibly they'll be looking to impress and engineer their next transfer to so a new club. One might be forgiven for thinking that when Bob club transfers a player it's simply losing an employee and the new club is gaining a new employee, is it really that simple for
0: them? I used to think it was, and most people would probably be forgiven for thinking that, but actually it's not. You know, when we see Cristiano Ronaldo being transferred to Real Madrid ten years ago for £80 million or uh, Neymar being transferred to PSG for £200 million it's often very easy to think, oh, they're just paying for the service. They're paying for an employee. Actually, it's way more interesting than that. Effectively, without going into too much detail, when when a club signs a player, they're not actually paying for the employee. What they're actually paying for is the right to register that player as someone who can play for that club. And so it's that particular right which is subject to the transfer fees. It's that particular right which is where, where all the value is. The fact that Neymar can play for PSG, the fact that um, Mo Salah can pay for, play for Liverpool, it's that right which is you know, the, the actual asset. Yeah, it's not an individual employee.
1: Yeah, so you've got an intangible viable asset being the right to have that player register to play at your club. And clearly a player can only play for one club at any one time. And you can see how that clearly has economic value. So what actually happens, Kaleem, when a player leaves a club?
0: So when a player, well, you're right, it's effectively getting into a bit of tax jargon, apologies, non-tax listeners. But effectively, as I say, you know, it's a right, it's, it's, an, it's, it's an intangible right uh, for a player to play for you. So effectively, what happens when a club sells an intern, intangible asset? And this kind of intangible asset also includes things like IP and goodwill, just for, just for context. Effectively, any gain you make on an intangible asset, you are subject to corporation tax. And I think one one point just to flag here is, and coming back to what I talked about earlier, where where I talked about football clubs kind of being in a sphere other than ours. I think it's very easy to forget that football clubs are innately companies mm. and they are innately subject to corporation tax in the same way any other company is. And so it's actually quite interesting to think about players in this kind of context. What happens is if you've got a 10 million pound player who you sign, and then you sell them, well, let's say for 50 million, you've made a 40 million pound profit, you're a company, you're subject to corporation tax. So all things being normal and not getting into technical tax issues, you've got a 40 million pound profit, which facie you're subject to tax on. It's actually really interesting.
1: Yeah, no, it is, it is really interesting. Yeah, completely like your sentiment, which is uh, I I've, I've never really thought of it in this way. And I think, yeah, sometimes the would quite appreciate that they're they're company like, like any other company. So you know, you mentioned there, you know, the the club would be effectively making a game on the player. Are there any tax release available for the club? So you know presumably if you get quite a lot of transfer proceeds. You're quite likely to invest some of that money and buy some new players, or probably not if your if you're Man United. but so are, are there any tax reliefs available there
0: for the club? Yeah, so there's this tax relief, which again, it's it, it's in the tax box, and we're getting a bit technical, but we won't get that technical, so we keep all of our listeners um, interested. But effectively, there is a relief called rollover relief for intangible assets. And what does that mean? Well, it means in the example which I just gave, If you've got a football player for 10 million pounds, you sell him or her for 15 million pounds, you've got a 40 million pound gain, as we discussed. Let's say then you've got that 50 million pounds and you acquire a new player for, let's just say, to make numbers simple, 100 million pounds. Well, actually, that 40 million pound gain which you've made on the previous player, you can actually roll any kind of gain you've made, i.e. not be subject to the tax on that date into the pro into the the cost of the new player you buy so effectively what you're doing is you're deferring any gain any tax on any gain you've made under one player rolling that into the new player and let's say in a few years time when you then sell the 100 million pound player let's say for 200 million pound players and let's say you uh, for 200 million pounds and let's say you don't acquire a new company then you will be subject to tax not only on the gain of the hundred million to two hundred million pound player, but also the forty million pound player. So it, it's not a it's not anything kind of controversial. A tax avoidance, it's just a method of deferring tax and enabling a club to reinvest their proceeds from one intangible asset into another in a um, tax efficient way. They will ultimately be subject to those taxes, all things being normal, but it'll be at a later date. Did that make sense? No, I hope not, that wasn't too technical.
1: That makes a bit sense, yeah. Um, so we've mentioned corporation tax. Are there any other types of tax that, that come to mind when dealing with transfers?
0: Yeah, one of them is. Um, I, I, it's not that widely acknowledged, but often when you sign a player, particularly a player who's from abroad, let's just say, Manu sign. Let's just say they sign someone from Spain often what will happen is you've gone through all the signings and contracts etc etc the player will usually they won't have a home they'll want to bring their family across often they won't have bought a house yet um often a club will say put them in a hotel or something like that for the first three months obviously the provision of that hotel to that player and their family is as a result of that player being employed or entering into employment with the football club so that provision of hotels could arguably be a benefit in kind. And what is a benefit in kind effectively is benefits which aren't your salary, which you get as a result of your employment, and they therefore are subject to tax. And this is again, is it's the kind of provision of certain benefits to employees which aren't necessarily their salary, but arise from their employment. It's it's a concept which we see in a day-to-day basis when dealing with kind of our, our day-to-day jobs. It's It's, it's nothing uncommon to the everyday company or company running its employment function so again it's very interesting how much similarity there is between the two kind of football world and i suppose the normal world
1: yeah yeah you can can see there why um the provision of hotels are potential benefit and kinds are there any other sort of benefits and kind that, that come into mind so for example you know the player will want to negotiate a contract with the new club but like who, who's responsible for, for negotiating those contracts so
0: often it's usually the agent right so everyone will probably remember someone when Pogba signed for Manu I think Mino Raiola who was his agent got like 41 million quid wow. as part of that yeah and I think Pogba signed 89 million or something so it's insane amount of money what will often happen, however, is that um, when an agent and a club are negotiating, sorry, an agent and a player are negotiating with a club for a new deal, then the new club will pick up the, the fees of the agent. And it's the whole benefit and kind point again. The reason they're picking up those agent fees on behalf of the player is as a result of their employment, their future employment. And therefore there's arguably a benefit in kind kind of charge for the player to bear if a club pays a portion of their fees. Something we, again, see in our day-to-day job where if you are an employee or a senior executive of a company, particularly in the private equity context, and a, uh, an entity pays for your legal advice, whether that arises from kind of the disposal of your portfolio company or otherwise, there's benefit and kind issues that arise there. So again, it's Again, we're coming back to the same point isn't it football isn't really that different to the rest of our kind of dealings
1: so we kind of touched upon it earlier just about um hmrc scrutiny as regards image rights payments and there were some quite interesting figures published by uhy harper young which indicated that in 2022 2023 HMRC is currently investigating three hundred and twenty-nine footballers, thirty-one clubs, and ninety-one agents, compared yeah. to ninety-three footballers, nine clubs, and twenty-three agents in the previous season. So that's always quite wow, quite the uptick in investigations. Do you think this direction of travel travel will continue to bloom? And what do you think will be the key areas of HMRC challenge in the years to come?
0: As we've discussed on here, I think all of the areas which we've discussed on now uh, on this podcast. They're all areas potentially of HMRC scrutiny and some of them like if you arrange your image rights contracts properly and enter into proper valuations or you in terms of transfer of players you a club kind of is diligent in making sure that it arrange everything in a tax efficient way. Actually, there won't be that much scrutiny, but the question arises as to how how much clubs actually look into these and think about the HMRC kind of angle. So I I think all of these areas are potentially up for HMRC scrutiny. The other thing that is becoming a bigger consideration for everyone when it comes to tax compliance and paying your taxes is just pure reputational risk. And rightly or wrongly, you know, there's often a lot of attention on how much these footballers are paid. And there is a big culture culture shift at the moment about if you are, whether you're an individual or a company and you're paying, you're being paid a lot of money if you're not paying the taxes which are imposed on you, then there's a big kind of reputational risk you take. And I think tax authorities around the world, I mean, we've seen it in Spain with the whole Messi, Ronaldo, Gerard Piquet kind of court cases are kind of clinging onto this. There's an old joke someone told. It's not a joke. It's a it's a saying someone told me. They said there's only one thing that the tax authorities hate more than a footballer, and that's lottery winners. <laughs> so um you can see why i suppose the other angle is i mean there's so much money in football now you can be a 19 18 19 20 year old player you're suddenly on a contract for a million pounds five million pounds ten million pounds whatever you know money beyond most of our wildest dreams you've probably not really thought about how you're going what you're going to do with that money you might ne- not necessarily have the most conservative tax advisors around you. So I think particularly in the last few years, in the late 2010s, there were examples of a lot of footballers with a lot of disposable income kind of being encouraged to enter into schemes which they were told by their advisors were kind of vanilla and, you know, had been signed off by a a QC at the time, now KC, and, you know, uh, were just a tax efficient way of, of arranging your finances, but actually a lot of those kind of schemes got challenged by HMRC and has left footballers having to pay a lot more in tax penalties and interest than previously. And I think the more money there is in football, unfortunately, the more kind of opportunism there will be amongst people who are wanting to advise them, not necessarily having always having a, a footballer's best personal interests in mind, but also just seeing the kind of dollar signs, the pound signs, when it comes to commission they can make on getting them to invest in a certain product. I think that's potentially another area that might unwind, but plenty of kind of things to think about. I think and an apt time, I think, to discuss all these with you know the World Cup starting in a few days. So you haven't told me who's your pick then. I said France. Who are you going to go for? I
1: think I'm going to go with France. Um, but yeah, you know, I completely, I completely agree with what you've what you've just said. I think it's really interesting it, you picked up on the point of, of reputational risk and you're know, on that you know my own club without naming names um, and <laughs> you had the big tax case and the small tax case and <laughs> 10 years later it's still a cloud over the club um, yeah. so you can really see how that reputational risk piece is very important and why a club would definitely want to to be doing as much as it can to avoid that
0: yeah absolutely um absolutely it's it's, it's an interesting area it's not something that people often associate they don't often associate the word interesting with tax but actually i genuinely think this is one of the examples of how interesting tax can be and i hope all of our listeners have found it as interesting as hopefully we've been able we've been able to convey our passion about this both football and tax so thank you very much for listening uh thank you to lewis for providing such insight and wisdom it's always a pleasure
1: Thank you very much, Kalimia. Thank you very much for all of your insights, too.